today, Rinpoche continued his explanation of the section of calm abiding and special insight in the final volume of Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment. 17 or 18, um, and I'm just going to show Rinpoche where we are, and we'll just see how things go. I do have to go to work, so it might even, you know, if we could do the full two hours, I would have to cut it short anyway for my own reason. Uh, so uh, just to let everybody know, I, I do need to go to work, unfortunately, today. Uh, and I just want to say thank you so much to Geshe-la. He's done so much to help Rinpoche, um, and, and we just really owe him a debt of gratitude um, during these times. He's, he's just been doing a lot. Uh, so thank you, Geshe-la. Tuchena Geshe-la. Okay, uh, so we're going to start right at the the top of page 18. See where it says 474? Hi, Brian. Welcome. It's so good to see you. This is Rinpoche. is one of his longest students uh, uh, and Rinpoche's doctor from the beginning. Uh, he's done so much for Rinpoche over the years as well. I didn't even see you over there. I'm in, in million, I came from work and I've got to go back to work, so my head is somewhere else right now. Very good to see you. Um, so right at 474, uh, it's where it says 474, and then you'll see Lama Tsongkhapa's commentary. It says, this states, that's meditative serenity. That's where we're going to begin. Uh, okay, Digsung Rinpoche. Yeah. So, uh, when we divide all of Buddha's teachings into categories, we're able to divide them into three. So, if we take all of the Lord Buddha's teachings ever given, they can be summarized into three categories. The teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity, teachings shared in common with beings of medium capacity, and the teachings for beings of great capacity. Uh, the first set of teachings, the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity, are for those who wish to have higher rebirth, rebirth in the higher realms of cyclic existence. So through engaging in acknowledgement of one's downfalls and going for refuge to the, th the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and engaging in ethical behavior that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities, um, uh, um, so in dependence upon those practices, uh, one is able to achieve rebirth in the higher realms of cyclic existence. And these are called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. So abandoning the ten non-virtues, 
acknowledging downfalls and going for refuge. The next set of teachings are for those who wish to achieve one, an individual liberation uh, or uh, um, enlightenment for themselves, not a Buddhahood, just a, a nirvana. Um, and so this practitioner engages in the practice of the three highest higher trainings. Highest higher training in ethics, highest higher training in concentration, and highest higher training in wisdom. And in dependence upon these practices, he or she is able to achieve nirvana. Uh, and then the final set of teachings are teachings for beings of great capacity. And these are teachings that lead to complete Buddhahood. Uh, and uh, these, um, uh, this is for the practitioner who, in dependence upon the other practices just mentioned, and engaging in uh, the, the Jipu Chembu Garilasong Shintu, by engaging in the practice of the mind that aspires to enlightenment um, and the six perfections, uh, one is able to achieve the state of Buddhahood. Uh, so the three, the three results of higher realm rebirth, nirvana, and then finally complete Buddhahood are um, uh, results that are dependent upon the three capacities of small, medium, and great. Digson Rinpoche. So now we've arrived at the specific section um, where uh, we find uh, uh, the union of calm abiding uh, and special insight. So when we look at the, the specific definitions of each among them, uh, we'll find that the definition of calm abiding, um, actually that Rinpoche gave specifically uh, the definition of uh, single-pointed concentration. Um, just give me one moment here. Then the Tingenzi Gitseni Yanjir Surinang? Okay, so this is uh, um, defined as a stabilization arisen from meditation and conjoined with a special pliancy. Uh, so uh, um, this is uh, single-pointed concentrations uh, are um, literally the um, calm abidings uh, definition. Um, and then if we look at the etymology, we see again that the zhi uh, um, is the mind's abiding, ne is, on, is the internal object of observation. Um, um, so it's just abiding on an internal obje object of observation, and then uh, that is conjoined with a special pliancy. Then the next is uh, um, special insight. Um, so then special insight, give me one moment here. Okay, here we go through this present. A wisdom of thorough discrimination of phenomenon conjoined with the special pliancy induced by the power of analysis. Uh, so here we have special insight, just as a translator's note, qualified by having that special pliancy as well. So it's inferred that there's a calm abiding that has occurred 
in order for special insight to be present. Uh, so single-pointed concentration occurs, um, and then it says, a wisdom of thorough discrimination of phenomenon conjoined with special pliancy. So together with this, induced by the power of analysis. So analytical meditation that's conjoined with the single-pointed concentration. Uh, um, so um, anything additional was just additional information within the, um, the commenters, commentators' points. Digson. Okay, so also Ratna Rashita, so we're just going to read straight through. Instructions for the perfection of wisdom uh, says, With regard to that, serenity's object of meditation is a non-discursive image of something which is either a case of the diversity of phenomenon or represents the real nature. Insight's object of meditation is a discursive image of something which is a case of the diversity of phenomena or repre which represents the real nature. This states that meditative serenity is a non-discursive stabilization on something among either diversity or the real nature of phenomena. So as a note, the conventional and ultimate uh, is what that's referring to. And that insight is analysis of either of those two objects. This is also intended, the intended meaning of a passage in the sutra unraveling the intended meaning. O Bhagavan, what, how many objects does serenity have? The Buddha replied, one, namely a non-discursive image. How many objects does insight have? Just one, a discursive image. How many objects of both are there? Two, namely the limits of existence and the achievement of purpose. Uh, so a Sangha's compendium of knowledge, the Amidharma Samuchaya, states that the limits of existence refers to both the reality, diversity, and the real nature of phenomena. So everything, basically. Uh, so serenity and insight each take both ultimates and conventionalities as objects of meditation, just as Ratna Kara Santi explained above. Thus, meditative serenity and insight are not differentiated in terms of their respective objects of meditation, for there is 
meditative serenity that knows emptiness, and there is, em- there is insight which does not know emptiness. Also, meditative serenity, shine, is your mind quieting, shi, movement toward external objects, and then abiding, ne, on an in- internal object of meditation. Insight, hlatong, is superior, hlakpa, i.e., seeing, special, special seeing, tong. So tong is seeing, hakpa is superior. So special seeing, special insight. So you see how uh, the word is transformed and how it creates, is turned into special insight, why it is that. Um, but again, when, when this is being explained, this is obviously explaining it in terms of the etymology of the Tibetan word itself. So um, it's just the translation of that. So we can't, it doesn't mean that we are... English word breaks down in that same way. It's giving the etymology specifically of the Tibetan word. Digsung Rinpoche. Rinpoche. The Gangda Sem Mito. The Gangda Sem Mito. Desku Kungenshi. Shebao. Ganda sem da sem duba tuche nebiziba seche ngameba shinedas ganda sem duba neba ribi seche ngameba shinedas seche ngayobala hatu duba ne ziba maides kaji gaga duwa hashi de kelen Jaiuka Chevrolet Okay. Some claim that a mind, so here it's uh, showing some other opinions and why they're correct or incorrect. Uh, Some claim that a mind resting in a non-discursive state without vivid intensity is serenity, while such a mind with vivid intensity is insight. This is not correct because it contradicts the definitions of serenity and insight that are established at length in sources such as the words of the conqueror, the treatises of the regent, the texts of Asanga, and Kamala Shila's stages of meditation. Uh, I think that it says... uh, Jelsup J. Let me say Jels. 
Just give me one moment. I think that's who the regent is. I'm not able to find. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, these texts say that meditative serenity is attention concentrated one-pointedly on an object of meditation, while insight is the wisdom that properly distinguishes the meaning of an object of knowledge. In particular, the presence or absence of vivid intensity of the mind in a non-conceptual consciousness indicates whether the concentration is lax it is utterly incorrect to claim that it indicates the difference between serenity and insight. Uh, so uh, this is because in all concentrations of meditative serenity, you definitely must clear away laxity because all concentrations free from laxity are invariably limpid states of mind. So here it's saying that these are things that are cleared away within serenity itself, um, not differentiations between insight and serenity. Uh, things such as dullness and so forth. Okay, dig song Rinpoche. Uh,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,现在,
uh, knows as its object either of the two selflessnesses. Do not identify them according to whether your mind rests in a non-discursive, clear and blissful state, because there are countless states of concentration which are blissful, clear, and non-discursive, yet which do not orient your mind towards the reality of objects, their lack of self. Even without finding that the view that knows the way things are, any totally non-discursive mind can be adequate to induce bliss and clarity. Even without understanding emptiness by establishing in it, it in perception, nothing at all prevents you from developing non-discursive concentration. If you keep your mind that way for a long time, you cause the wind energies to become serviceable. Once this occurs, nothing precludes the arising of bliss as it is the nature of such serviceability to create mental and physical delight and bliss. Once bliss has arisen, then there will be mental clarity by the virtue of the quality of clarity in the feelings of delight and bliss. For this reason, there is not a single authentic source to prove that a... Uh, I'm sorry, for this reason there is not a single authentic source to prove that all blissful, clear, non-discursive concentrations know reality. Therefore, since bliss, clarity, and non-discursiveness are present in concentrations that know emptiness, yet very often occur in concentrations that are not directed towards emptiness. You have to differentiate these two. So differentiating between a meditation which induces bliss and, and happiness because the winds have been service. There's more serviceability of the wind and so forth. So it naturally arises from that. And a correct meditation which does that as well, meaning a meditation on the nature of reality. Um, will, um, so the, the two are, one, it's the meditation which is not on a correct object of observation, not about the nature of reality, uh, which induces bliss, and then the other, one which induces bliss, which is utilizing the object of observation, the nature of reality. So it's saying that you can induce these feelings without really, um, as a translator's note, you can induce these feelings um, in meditation and feel as though you've realized something, but it's just a uh, physical Re reaction that's taking place within the winds and so forth that could occur um, whether you're um, meditating on an important image or not. Dig song Rinpoche. Mioanida Tegonani 
sedi sindu nebo. Nebo nebiti ne demena. Ravam i i na duge lungi truve iludjine sewa tuma masibi shirir shiladnika kuba yinde kuni baba le shina dante hadun baji ki bear with me I'm trying to why is it necessary to cultivate both so here uh, Rinpoche began by saying what are both shine and latong so special calm abiding and special insight so one has to have both of these so why why is it necessary to cultivate both why is it insufficient to cultivate either serenity or insight alone why is it necessary to cultivate both I will explain If you light an oil lamp for the purpose of viewing a picture in the middle of the night, you will see the depictions very clearly if the lamp is both very bright and undisturbed by the wind. If the lamp is not bright, or it is bright but flickering in the wind, then you will not see the images clearly. Likewise, when looking for the profound meaning, you will clearly see reality if you have not if you have both the wisdom that unerringly discerns the meaning of reality and an unmoving attention that stays as you wish on the object of meditation. However, if you do not have wisdom that knows how things are, even if you have a non-discursive concentration in which your mind is stable and does not scatter to other things, then you lack the eyes which see reality. Hence, it will be impossible to know how things are no matter how much you develop your concentration. And even with a perspective that understands reality, selflessness, if you lack a firm concentration that stays one-pointedly on its object, then it will be impossible to clearly see the meaning of the way things are because you will be disturbed by the winds of uncontrollability, uncontrollably, sorry, fluctuating discursive thought. This is why you need both serenity and insight. And then Kamala Shila's second stages of meditation, which we will be getting back to very soon. Rinpoche is teaching that text the first Wednesday of every month, uh, and there are videos already of it. Um, so Kamala Shila's stages of meditation says, With bare insight that lacks serenity, the yogi's mind is distracted by objects. Like an oil lamp in the wind, it will not be stable. For this reason, what sublime wisdom sees will not be very clear. As this is so, rely equally on both. Therefore, the great final Nirvana Sutra, from the uh, pronouncements of Lord Buddha, the Kangjur, Shravakas do not see the lineage of the Tathagatas because their concentration is greater than their wisdom. Bodhisattvas see it, but unclearly because their wisdom is greater than their concentration. The Tathagatas see everything because they have serenity and insight in equal measure. I might have read that extra, that one. Okay, Rinpoche Digsong, Shiro. The Natsu the Shanchu Sem Banangi 
Le test test So I do need to reread that. I'm just going to reread. I read one further in. Shravakas do not see the lineage of the Tathagatas because their concentration is greater than their wisdom. Bodhisattvas see it, but unclearly, because their wisdom is greater than their concentration. The Tathagatas see everything because they have serenity and insight in equal measure. With the power of serenity, your mind, like a lamp placed where there is no wind, will be unmoved by the winds of discursive thought. When with insight, others cannot divert you since you have abandoned the infinite entanglements of bad views. As the Moon Lamp Sutra says, the power of meditative serenity makes your mind steady. Insight makes it like a mountain. So uh, unwavering because of not being moved by bad views. So the wisdom. Um, so that, again, the power of meditative serenity makes your mind steady. Insight makes it like a mountain. She Tongue, Okay. 
Where, where are we? Uh, apologize. So, the mark of meditative serenity is that your attention stays right where it is placed without distraction from the object of meditation. The mark of insight is that you know the reality of selflessness and eliminate bad views such as the view of self. Your mind is like a mountain in that it cannot be shaken by the opponents. Therefore, you should distinguish these two marks. Before you achieve meditative serenity, you may use discerning wisdom to analyze the meaning of selflessness. But your mind is extremely unsteady. Uh, um, your mind is like a mountain. Um, the mark of insight is that you know reality of selflessness and eliminate bad views, such as the view of self. Your mind is like a mountain in that it cannot be shaken by opponents. Therefore, you should distinguish these two marks. Before, I'm sorry, I got distracted. If I just reread something, I just got confused by something. Before you achieve meditative serenity, you may use discerning wisdom to analyze the meaning of selflessness, but your mind is extremely unsteady, like a lamp in the wind. So your concept of selflessness is unclear. On the other hand, if you analyze when you have achieved serenity, you avoid the fault of extreme unsteadiness. So, uh, so your concept of selflessness will be clear. Thus, the mental state of insight has a quality of steadiness which derives from non-discursive meditative serenity and a quality of knowing how things exist which does not derive from meditative serenity. For example, a lamp's ability to illumine, illumine form derives from the wick and the preceding moments of a flame. It does not derive from such things as the screen that protects it from the wind. However, the stability of the steady flame, um, flame of the lamp does derive from this screen. Thus, if you engage in analysis and with a wisdom possessed of the meditative equipoise of serenity, a state undisturbed by laxity or excitement, then you will understand the meaning of reality, which uh, this is in mind, the compendium of teachings of sutra states. When your mind is in meditative equipoise, you will understand reality just as it is. Um, so I just had asked Rinpoche um, what he would like to do if he because he's clearly he's reading um, and giving us the transmission of the text, um, and I think he wants to connect with um, and do some questions uh, and answers um, now. Um, so uh, with I thought we were going to go a little longer with um, reading, but uh, Rinpoche I think has decided to just stop there and we'll do the questions. So, um, uh, so did uh, the Yabo do Rinpoche? Okay, uh, so questions, uh, please, we're all here, um, um, you know, and so anyone has any questions, please ask them. This material is extremely difficult, obviously, as we read through it, so we just want to make sure that we uh, are able to get the commentary. You, you mentioned uh, which is the one-pointed, uh, where your mind is one-pointed, um, and then there's another part. There was another term you used. Special uh, insight? Yeah. Is that, can you use the, in English, can you use clarity? Because the mind, that too, this, the concentration of the, of the mind on one point, and then there's a, does that bring in clarity, which would make the mind clear to see things so that they're not discursive or anything? Shin Rimache. Shine yuna sem sopodu kongichua. Shine shine lena gangisena sansan de sem sopoyomari. Shine yuna sem sopodu 
the mikpa selpodu. So once you achieve the state of calm abiding, um, one of the qualities of that state is that uh, the object of observation, whatever it may be, of the mind is clear. There's complete clarity of it without any distraction. Thank you. My question is having to do with um, understanding uh, dependent arising. Um, dependent arising is described as having two types, dependent arising upon causes and conditions and dependent arising upon mental designation. Uh, and my question was about mental de designation um, because uh, it could be simply interpreted as being that which is imputed by my mind or my concepts on objects that I experience, or it could be uh, considered to be um, that mental projection is what causes the existence of objects. Um, so, so I wanted to, to know the the, the uh, correct way to to um, interpret the meaning of um, uh, mental designation as being uh, what it, things depend upon. So the two, so there's two dependent origination, which are causes and conditions, and dependent origination of establishment. Uh, so those are the two types of dependent origination. Dendel, Rimache, the Dendel. Dendel yen la juni Dendel. Ni yure, Judre, Dantapa. Then the the Detsi la the the Dunda La Rona. Dendel la juni. The Dendel yen la the Dendel. Dendel mita the Tombani. The 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 Ju Judre the Dendel. Dang Ming da Dendel. Then Pamala Dene. Then a Chapagare. Then ni Chapagare. Judila Demitende ina. Dajila Demitende imichap. Musurim. Then Dashe la Demisena, the Kamba, the Shindang, the Mambogu. Then Dene. Okay, so. Sometimes uh, that secondary is, I've seen it translated as dependent origination through collection. I've also seen it, it translated as that. Um, and it makes sense with the explanation that Rinpoche just gave. So when we look at the two types of dependent origination, dependent origination of causes and conditions, uh, an example would be um, we are here because our parents got together and, and through that process um, of the, those causes and conditions, a result occurred, which was us. So this is uh, th that type of dependent origination of causes and condition that relates to a person or, 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 or me in this instance, my parents. Um, I'm a result of that. Um, so these uh, things, these causes and so forth um, made the occurrence of this reality of me. Um, the second is dependent origination uh, through collection, establishment, 
Um, I'd like to see what Hopkins is using right now for that, but I'll look it up later. But um, And this is, an example of this is right now we're staying in a house, but this house isn't have any independence that is aside from this collection that comes together to make it house. So we see that there's wood, and you can even trace the tr back to a tree. Um, there is this collection that comes together. It's not causes and conditions. It's not cause and effect. It's a collection that literally comes together that, that then is designated as this or that. But there is no this or that that's separate from this collection, this dependent origination. So that's the, that's the meaning of the second kind of dependent origination. One is literally cause and effect, and then you have a result. That result depended on this process. The other is the collection of, of things that, are, that make it into this or that, that then is named. So that's the, those are the two types of dependent origination. Thank you. Ask one more question? Absolutely not. Okay. No? No, I don't oh, mind. Oh, you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. So, um, so <laughs> my other question is referring to um, understanding emptiness in, co in the correct way. Um, it's been described as being a non-affirming negative, um, and which means that there is no affirmative to hold on to to say this is emptiness. Um, but then it's a little bit confusing because when you're supposed to achieve an experience, a direct realization of emptiness, there ought to be something to, that's a correct sign that feels right, that says, oh, this is emptiness. So is there such a thing as an affirmative that, that Yeah, confirms? I think the trouble is with the English. It's always the trouble with the English. that um, It's really that word emptiness is just means a lack thereof. It lacks... It lacks... Ha this house lacks having an inherent existence. That's all that emptiness means. It's empty of, it's lacking inherent existence. So I'm just trying to figure out how to ask the, because we're now we're talking about an English word, how to ask the question of Rinpoche, um, because it might just be a problem with the English word. And I've seen this a lot, because it, it means empty seems like nothing, when in the English word, but it yeah. means it's just empty of something very specific. It's lacks having self. The tomba ni, the tomba ni, the tsanlo kashi, the the mindu, gangensene inji ke, empty, empty the dondagare, empty yomare, the the kanga tona, empty. Lesser. Very easy to arrive at the view of the Chinese abbot, Hashan's view, to think that emptiness means a, a, a lack of nothing. It means literally nothing. So that emptiness would be a complete um, uh, removal of all thought, and then, then you would be at this blank space, and, and that would be emptiness, because it would be empty at that point. But that's an incorrect understanding of emptiness. It's it's a misuse of tombani, uh, meaning what is it empty of? It's not empty, meaning like it, I was telling Rinpoche when we use the English word, it's like once all this is in, all this tea is gone, we would say this cup is empty. 
um, but it's not really what the meaning of emptiness is, uh, because we wouldn't we would say, um, well, it would be more specific than that. Now this cup is empty of tea, specifically empty of tea, not that there's nothing. That's how specific it needs to be with emptiness. It would be this cup is empty of tea. Uh, I am empty of having true self. So, does that make it clear? I wish I could uh, so ask more than I did, but that's really everything that would clarify it. Okay. Thank you, Rinpoche. Next. The true Don Lenja Yabudu Pentogudu. Anybody? Uh, yes, Rinpoche. I'd just like to follow up on the gentleman's question. Kontriwa dan kontriwa drawa. Then eh? The um, you, you do you do read that there are several levels of realization of emptiness, mm -hmm. and, and the highest level is a direct realization of emptiness. So I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my question would be: How do you know when you have the direct realization of emptiness? The tomba ni. The tonlam lena kandre hakogudu. The tonlampa nga tonlampa yen kandre hakogudu. Da da gare da yan da gare. Jepag. Tonlam ni meke zo tonaji tonuna tonas tonlam ton tonas. Ode tonlena ubere. Lesser. So when you see emptiness. Um, see, that's a bad, you're not seeing it. When your mind realizes emptiness, um, hold on. In, this, in the same way that if you had form in front of you, your eye sees form, when you apprehend emptiness in that clear of a way, and it can't work. It's already been said that words can't really explain it very well. So the person who has that experience would know, they would, um, uh, that it occurred. Um, but just as a translator's note, in, in order to have a direct valid cognition of emptiness, there are various stages that occur. The first, you have a wisdom that aris arises from hearing. You hear about it, and then you, you process the words. And then you contemplate it and analyze it over and over again. And you reach a, a point where you have what is called inferential valid cognition. It's where you, through the use of a sign, can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that empty, prove emptiness, but you haven't experienced it directly. Um, so the stage before you actually have a direct perception of emptiness is called inferential valid cognition. It is valid cognition, just like direct perception is, but it's through inference, and it relies upon a sign. It relies upon saying, this is that because of this. You still require that. Once you directly see emptiness, the, the sign is no longer required. It's a direct experience of it. Um, so you have to, one of the, the things to know is that you have to first have inferential valid cognition, which is analysis that is incontrovertible, immovable. You get to a point where you've analyzed it to the point where you know that uh, this is a cup, 
this is emptiness. You know that emptiness is real. You know that emptiness is the nature of reality. You just haven't experienced it. And it's actually, you go from the path of accumulation, which is where, we'll say it in the Mahayana spectrum, where you get bodhicitta and you begin this analysis. Then the next is the path of preparation. There are four stages of the path of preparation that you go through. And that final stage, which is called the last state, last mundane state of existence, um, is the fourth stage of the path of preparation. And that's called that last mundane state because you have the peak amount of inferential valid cognition. You have an incontrovertible understanding of emptiness, and you have a union of what we're talking about, calm abiding and special insight. Because in order to see emptiness, you also have to have single-pointed concentration. So you have to have all of these things. um, Seeing emptiness is dependent, you know? So all these things have to have occurred. Um, you have this inferential valid cognition, then this union of calm abiding and special insight. So you know it for sure, but you have the skills also now to meditate to see it. So, and then when you see it directly, that's the path of seeing. And it, it, it's, like you said, it is a bunch of stages that are required. And you can check any of this. This is right from Rinpoche's teaching. This isn't something I'm making up now. I just knew that this required a lot of words. And I know that Rinpoche is having a hard time with a lot of words right now. So I'm, I'm his words right now. Um, but you can be sure that that is exactly the, the stage that you go through. You reach this union of calm uh, abiding and special insight and you're at that fourth level it's heat peak patience and last mundane state of existence and you're at the point where you have single pointed concentration you know emptiness for sure and then you cross that line into the path of seeing and you see emptiness directly because you've acquired all the skills and all of the knowledge is necessary to do it so it's a heavy duty process and a practitioner who's there would know. Someone who's like, well, maybe I've done it. There's no way you've done it. You know what I mean? <laughs> those who know don't tell, and those who tell don't know. Thank you. <laughs> I was just explaining to Rinpoche what I just explained. He's, he's fine. He told me anytime I can explain anything, but I just want you all to know I would never make anything up that was beyond his teaching. I, I would like to ask if the uh, emptiness that we are discussing from a scientific viewpoint can be defined as the void that then becomes such a vacuum as a black hole. So is it like, I, can, I don't know how to say black hole, unfortunately, in Tibetan. I don't think Rinpoche would know about black hole phys- in physics. So okay. um, I have to be able to a- I ask a question that he can relate to. Mm-hmm. So are you saying like space? I could ask him, is it like... Something it's similar to yes, space. It's not. Okay, but that's not Because it's, it it's, it's not, like I was saying, it's not just a void of something. It's a void of something specific. Yes, a void of the gravity what I'm looking what I'm thinking and seeing would be more of the void of value that would then become a vacuum looking for that value to be reinstated from what I don't know what that means okay I'm sorry I don't know what the vacuum I don't know what any of those words mean together
I'd like to ask the question, but if, uh, if there's a, a way I could ask Rinpoche, um, I would. The tomba ni donda. The nanka dang drapuldu tomba ni yomare. The hashan dawa nanka dang drapuldu. Tomba ni zanda zanda. Tanga so ngase yase. Mamma si suba la tuena giunto. Suba la tuena giunto. Ma tuba yomaro. Lesso. Emptiness is as simple as saying this. In order for, there is I. I require a whole bunch of things to come together in order for me to be I. There's no I that's separate from all that stuff that comes together that's necessary for I to be there. There's no I that's separate from this comings together. So the I's emptiness is it's empty of having something other than this comings together. When we look at the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge, it says no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue. The meaning of that is that there is no eye, no ear, no nose that is inherently existent, that isn't existent because it comes into being through this collection through these parts that come together that then are named as this or that. There is no this or that that can be found separate of this dependent origination. So it's empty of being anything other than this collection coming together. It doesn't have its own soul, its own identity, its own personality. It's merely a comings together of things that serve as a basis of designation to be named as this or that. But there is no this or that that you can find unless you put all those things together and then name it. I hope that helped. Yes. Anyone else? All right. Concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. Shere Yapudu Rinpoche Tuchana. Every week we'll do a little bit more and more, and very soon we'll start really javeling through. This last section is considered the most difficult section of the text and one of the most difficult sections of any text ever written. So it's so important that we get a clear commentary on it that uh, the transmission is very important. But if we could just get some of the nectar of meaning out of those words, uh, it would be very special not only to us but to Geshe's who already are Geshe's to be able to study it. Um, and just I'm going to close with this. The information that's contained in that section uh, Lama Tsongkhapa wrote a major book about called The Essence of Eloquence. And uh, it, all The Essence of Eloquence really does is explain what this section does, but bigger. And uh, there's a story of this great scholar's student coming up to him and asking him if he could go to another teacher's teaching. Um, and he said, what, well, yeah, well, what's the teaching on? And he said, The Essence of Eloquence. And he said, if there's a teacher who understands the meaning of that, I'll go with you too. So that's what we're going to be learning, and that's such a special thing to know um, that it's that kind of material. It's that, that really pith of what the Buddha taught, and it's that thing that gets you enlightened. Um, the other stuff does, but without that last text, that last volume, and knowing that beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no chance of becoming enlightened. And read, go home and read a few pages of that, and then let me know how far along the path you think you are. <laughs> okay, concluding mandal offering and dedication prayer. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. 
I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avogateshvara Tenzin Jatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandak, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji Rimshe Gutsi Shapi Denonang, Natsu Lamrim Chembo Kangachirnang, Shine Dan Latun Kangachirnang, Latun Chembo Kangachirnang.